Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. Happy Friday, Playmakers. So I don't typically like to end the week with a tough love episode, but sometimes it's just necessary. And I know my schedule was a little bit off this week. We ended up getting a new patio and it took way longer than anticipated. So it totally messed up my recording schedule. It was just so incredibly loud outside my window all day, every day but it seems to be wrapping up. I'm back to recording at five in the morning just to kind of get ahead of it. So I apologize that my schedule was a little bit off this week. And again, it made this episode on a Friday just necessary. And it's especially necessary to have one of these tough love episodes when I know it's what many of you listening need to hear right now. So last week, I was listening to Donald Miller's Business Made Simple podcast, which I definitely recommend, by the way, especially his earliest episodes. But one of his more recent episodes was an interview with Michael Arietta, and he's the founder of Garden City, which is an investment firm whose mission is to buy small businesses and help them grow and continue the original owner's legacy all while that original owner can move on to their their next chapter and maybe relax, travel, or start a new venture. So they come in and take over the business when the owner's just kind of ready to move on, but really doesn't want their mission to go by the wayside, right? 
And this was one of those episodes where I literally found myself nodding my head in the school pickup line saying, oh my gosh, yes, 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 exactly. And I highly recommend tuning into that episode, but it was all about what Michael and his team of investors look for when they're interested in purchasing a small business and what makes them literally run in the other direction away from that small business, right? What are their red flags that they look for as investors? And this episode really reiterated and honestly validated everything I've already shared on this podcast about getting ready to potentially sell your business someday, especially in episode 68 of this podcast and in the YouTube video I created that I'm going to link in the show notes of this episode. But they frame this conversation in a really interesting way. So even though we've covered this multiple times, I really wanted to bring this topic to the forefront again and share some highlights and takeaways with you. Because as I've mentioned before, even if you have no intention of ever selling your business and your ultimate end game is maybe to pass the business onto your kids someday, just know you also do not have a crystal ball, right? Anything can happen to any of us at any time. So we have to be prepared and we have to give ourselves options ourselves or a loved one could get sick. We could come across an unexpected financial hardship. We could be the victims of a crime or a national disaster. We could decide to move out of state for whatever reason. And some of us may need to someday take care of aging parents or unwell family members. So much is just unknown, especially in the entrepreneurial world. So my rule of thumb is to always at least take the basic steps necessary to prepare your business for an eventual sale. Because the last thing that you want to have if something in your life goes awry is no options or very limited options. You want to be able to at least have the choice to put your business up for sale if that comes to it. And you want to ensure that you'll be able to command a fair an accurate price because you've likely put so much into your business already, both financially and just, you know, literal blood, sweat, and tears. And it's probably like your passion project, right? A lot of us feel like our businesses are almost extensions of ourselves. And that's actually where the issues can start. But I know that you want what's best for your business, for your family, for your community. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And the other last thing that you want to worry about if a hardship does befall you is working on backtracking your financial reports or updating your business legal documents or putting together training materials and standard operating procedures, right? If a dear loved one or a child or yourself falls ill or can't work for whatever reason, these are the last things you want to be doing. So in this episode, again, I'd like to share some takeaways of that interview that Donald Miller did with Michael Arietta, and also some additional tips I have for you that will expand on the selling conversation that we had in episode 68 of this podcast and in the YouTube video that I'm going to link in the show notes. So again, you can be prepared in the event you decide to sell for whatever reason, because again, if something does happen, 
I want you to be able to focus on what's most important, right? Not updating your legal documents. So let's talk about five of the reasons Michael shares that brick and mortar businesses find it difficult, if not impossible to sell. Number one, the owner is too involved. Now I could spend an entire episode just talking about this because in our industry specifically, this is such a common trap to fall into. And it often starts with good intentions. And many times we as owners are managing a million things at once, our businesses, growing families, relationships, and many of our tasks seem to get done at odd hours or whenever we find a quick pocket of time. I remember in my earlier days of ownership, I'd use the hours and hours that I'd spend nursing my baby to post on social media, respond to emails, place our coffee and supply orders, all really quickly from my phone. Now, I always have used Asana for task management, which I talk about in episode three of this podcast, but at that time, I was still wearing all the hats because I didn't have a set system or dedicated working hours. I honestly really didn't have any real systems. And this was a huge problem when we decided to license and then eventually sell our business. So let's explore a little bit more about why that is. So I apologize in advance, but I broke this, you know, one of five points down into subparts because again, this is such an easy and common mistake to make. And I'd say based on my research, and again, I'm just kind of throwing this number out there, but I really believe it's accurate. I'd say 99 out of 100 indoor playgrounds are facing this issue right now. And this is why indoor playgrounds can be so notoriously hard to sell or pass on to new owners without a complete overhaul and rebranding of the business. So the first point I want to talk about is over-dependence on the owner. So when the owner is the driving force behind key aspects of a business, such as customer relationships, supplier connections, or unique skills like posting on Instagram stories, potential buyers may perceive a high level of risk. And a broker certainly will when they're valuing your business. And therefore, the price you're able to command for your business will be greatly affected by this increased risk, right? If all of that knowledge is just living in the owner's brain and isn't documented or spelled out on paper anywhere, they might worry about the sustainability of the business without the owner's constant presence and a fear and decline in performance once the ownership changes hands, right? There's going to be a huge disruption in business. And Customers are going to be able to see that from the outside, which is one of the worst case scenarios for a potential buyer. And then the next point is limited scalability. So an owner who is intimately involved in every aspect of the business really can hinder its scalability. And let's talk about it. So the owner's presence may be necessary to maintain quality control, ensure customer satisfaction, or handle critical decisions, right? So many owners I talk to say, well, I need to be at every birthday party or I need to be at every event. Otherwise, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. You know, 
And all I hear when owners say that to me is that they don't trust their team or that their team just hasn't been trained properly. And again, this is a huge red flag for a broker or a potential investor. This level of involvement can make it so difficult for the business to eventually expand or add new revenue streams or adapt to changing market conditions. And these were the businesses that shut down first during the pandemic. And we might see that process begin to repeat itself as we come up to a recession. Prospective buyers who see growth potential and scalability may view such limitations as a huge deterrent, reducing the business's attractiveness as an investment. And then the next point is a lack of established systems and processes. And as I mentioned, when I shared my personal story earlier, when an owner is too involved, it often leads to a lack of well-defined systems and processes within the business. And that means somebody can't just come in and step in and take over that role as an owner. And it definitely means your team isn't going to be able to handle things independently while you're gone. And again, a lot of owners have this lack of trust in their team and that can make everything a lot more difficult. And I promise you something that I've learned and seen time and time again is your team is much more capable than you likely give them credit for. And they're going to appreciate you and they're going to enjoy their jobs and their work environment much more if you give them a little more independence. And if you show that trust in them, I promise you they can watch a video or read a standard operating procedure. And I guarantee you they're going to exceed your expectations if you do leave them to run that event by themselves or lead that birthday party by themselves. You are going to be pleasantly surprised if you can find it in yourself to take a step back. You do not need to have your hands in every single thing in your business. Again, I'm saying this again and again. I probably sound like a broken record, but it's because it is so common. And as I mentioned earlier, important operational knowledge might reside only in the owner's mind. And this makes it so difficult to transfer that knowledge to a new owner or a management team. The absence of documented processes increases that perceived risk again and complexity in the transition for potential buyers who all want a smooth transition that is not obvious to the customers and who want a clear understanding of the business's inner workings. Now, I know you've probably all had a job before where somebody kind of hoarded all of this knowledge. Maybe it was unintentionally, or maybe it was to make themselves, you know, quote unquote, indispensable to the business. And you've probably also experienced that person leaving for whatever reason, right? Maybe they got fired, maybe the company downsized, or maybe they quit. And it was probably such a headache for everyone else involved in that job to kind of pick up that slack and figure out, okay, what was so-and-so doing every single day? How were they placing this order? Who was their point of contact at this particular company? When does this bill need to get paid? And what credit card does it go into? Where are all of these expenses tracked, right? It's a nightmare. And you do not want, again, to add to whatever stress you're dealing with if you need to sell your business. And you also don't want to put that on your team or on the new owners. 
And you might think, well, it's not my problem if the new owners buy the business, but I'm telling you, if this is a huge issue in your business, you're going to probably get about 15% of what your business might actually be worth if you can solve this problem, if you can get over this hump right now. And it's kind of that hypothetical milk truck scenario that we talk about in so many episodes of this podcast, right? Again, just to reiterate myself, we never know what's going to happen. And I remember in my job, we used to talk about this and, you know, hypothetically, a milk truck could just come and wipe us out and all of our knowledge and all of our, you know, unique skills and things like that. And we need to prepare for that, right? Sometimes we have to be unselfish as business owners. And this is one of those times. All right. The next, the next point I wanted to talk about is the owner's emotional attachment. So owners who are deeply involved in their businesses often develop strong emotional ties to their work. Does this sound familiar, right? We often, like I said, think of our businesses as extensions of ourselves. Or I hear a lot of owners say, you know, oh, my business is my third child or something like that. I know I caught myself saying that many times. You know, you might have poured years of your life into building this enterprise, shaping its culture, and establishing relationships with customers and your community. And this emotional attachment can create difficulties during the selling process. The owner may struggle to objectively evaluate offers or may simply be hesitant to let it go. And this could potentially lead to protracted negotiations or even the withdrawal of the sale altogether, right? This is another thing that you've probably experienced in your personal life. So for example, have you ever dealt with, you know, maybe a grandparent or maybe a parent that really didn't want to let that family house go, or, you know, they got really defensive when the inspector came. I was just rewatching, um, not modern family, parenthood. I was rewatching parenthood the other day and the dad, Zeke, he absolutely would not sell the family home without, you know, getting this huge astronomical, unrealistic price for it. And he kept kind of self-sabotaging the sale, right? The inspector would come or the real estate agent would come and he would take offense to them saying that found that the foundation was crumbling or some of the aspects of the house weren't maintained properly. And this is so often something that I see in this sale process of an indoor playground, right? An unbiased outside source, maybe a broker will come in or a potential buyer and they'll say, oh, well, this business really lacks marketing strategy. And the owner all of a sudden gets offended and they say, well, you know, actually I do this, 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 and this. And again, this can really sour the relationship between the previous owner, maybe that's you, and the new owner. And again, this is a huge red flag for investors or potential buyers. So just keep that in mind and try to just take stock of if you find yourself kind of taking offense to things like that or self-sabotaging or anything like that. The next point I wanted to talk about is limited time for due diligence. And this is a term that you're definitely going to run into once you start talking legalities with a broker or a lawyer. So selling a business requires thorough due diligence from both the buyer and the seller. When the owner is heavily involved in day-to-day operations, they may struggle to find the time necessary 
to engage in this critical process. And what I mean by due diligence is due diligence involves sharing financial records, legal documents, and other relevant information like systems and training documents with potential buyers. The owner's lack of time or attention to this task, so if everything is all over the place in your Google Drive and you know nothing is centralized and nothing is written down or systematized, this can lead to delays or incomplete disclosures, raising concerns and hindering the buyer's decision-making process, and again, greatly affecting the price you can actually expect to charge when selling your business. And this could even mean legal issues for you down the road. So if the buyer of your business finds that you were not quite transparent or you forgot to turn over, you know, maybe a loan that you owed or a creditor that you are maybe paying off or an asset that, you know, wasn't on the balance sheet, this could really, you know, come into play down the line. And I don't like to be, you know, all doomsday or anything, but I've seen a lot of small business owners get taken to court because of this lack of transparency. And again, none of it was usually coming from a place of malice, right? The owner probably just wasn't very organized or maybe they forgot or something like that. And this doesn't only come into play when you decide to sell your business. If you license or franchise your business and you're not giving your licensees or franchisees the full picture of your financial situation or what it takes to actually run your business, they can absolutely sue you for damages, for their startup costs, for their original franchise or licensing fee. So just keep that in mind. And all of these individual points that I mentioned under you know the owner being too involved basically boil down to one thing. So if you're multitasking, let's you know come back to me real quick. So if the owner hoards knowledge and fails to document their systems and start delegating tasks and taking on more of a visionary role in the business, no buyer will willingly step in and just be able to easily fill their shoes. And this lack of systems will lead to a long and complicated transition plan that again will cause a huge disruption in sales and customer satisfaction, or the new owners will basically have to start from scratch and build the business their way from the ground up in order for them to agree to buy it. So in that situation, you'd basically just be selling your assets and not your business as a whole. And in both of these scenarios, you're probably not going to walk away with your initial investment back, let alone any profit for the business that you've worked so hard to build. And I don't want that for you. And I hope you don't want that for yourself. All right, number two. The business's main revenue streams aren't consistent or sustainable. So I know I kind of went down the rabbit hole on that first point, but again, I'm going over the five red flags that Michael Arietta mentioned that he perceives when he's going to buy a business or help negotiate a sale. So again, the business's main revenue streams aren't consistent or sustainable. And this kind of ties into the first point, but a big issue that often comes up in the selling process of a business is how that business actually sells their products and services. So do they have a holistic marketing plan? Do they have strategies to get new leads and ways to nurture them through their customer journey, taking them all the way from social media follower or email subscriber or search engine browser browser to a customer and then a raving fan? 
Or is the owner or manager just kind of flying by the seat of their pants, hopping on Instagram stories or reels three times a day or even more in order to get new eyes on the business and new faces in the door? If the owner stopped posting on social media, for example, would the business grind to a halt? Would people forget to come in? If the owner took a week off from posting or sending emails, how would sales be affected? Or if the owner or manager got sick, how would those who have parties or events booked be affected? Again, are there established systems to reduce this risk and maintain a constant flow of sales and a high level of service? Having a marketing plan that is too short-sighted or not having a solid marketing plan that is extremely strategic and full of automations is a huge major red flag for potential buyers. So just doing whatever you can, whenever you can, is not sustainable long-term or if someone knew where to step in. And I'm not saying that posting a dozen stories per day doesn't contribute to an overall marketing plan. But if that's where your strategy really stops and you have no way of really thoughtfully capturing emails and contact info like I talked about in episode one of this podcast and If you don't have an automated email welcome sequence, like I talk about in episode two of this podcast that gives your new subscribers all the info they need and all the love that they need when they actually need it. And if you don't have a way to automatically retarget your website visitors with ads, like I talk about in episode 31 of this podcast or recover abandoned carts or partially completed bookings, like I talked about in episode 198 eight of this podcast, your marketing plan may be very imbalanced and again, very short-sighted and not sustainable. The more of these steps in the customer journey that you can automate, the more you can save your energy and time to do other things. And this, you know, having this established will be extremely attractive to a new owner. And this brings me to the next issue I see when selling an indoor playground business. And that's that revenue is deeply impacted by seasonality. You don't want to look a broker or a potential buyer in the face when they ask you, you know, what do you do to combat seasonality or your slow months? Or what do you do if you're having a slow week? And if you say, well, you know, I hop on Instagram or Facebook stories and I, you know, basically threaten customers or beg them that, you know, hey, if you don't come in, We won't be able to pay our bills and stay open for them and keep serving the community. Trust me. And yes, I've heard people actually say this. And I see people doing this all the time. You need to know exactly which of your revenue streams dip and when. And you need to have a written plan to combat this. So for example, if your parties dip significantly in the summer, Do you have something like summer camps or drop-off programs or something like that to make up for that revenue? If your membership see a huge increase in cancellations in the summer, what are you going to do about that? Maybe you have a special summer membership that's meant for teachers or people who are off during the summers, you know, obviously to just make up for that small gap in time where a lot of people are pressing pause on their subscriptions or just aren't able to come in as frequently. Or for example, I know, I think it was like two years ago, 
all of the holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, they were all on weekends. And that was a huge issue for those of us who rely on keeping our party calendars booked through every weekend in the winter. So what are you going to do if Christmas falls on a Saturday again or Halloween falls on a Saturday? And maybe you're not able to sell as many tickets or as many parties during those weeks. Are you going to have a holiday sale or promotion? Now, if you're not already thinking about this, it's May. I want you to already be thinking about what to do, not just in your you know slow season, because if the summer is your slow season, hopefully you already had a plan in place months ago to combat this. But I already want you thinking months and months ahead. And if you don't have a system or if you don't give yourself enough time or energy in your day to think long-term, this is going to be a huge problem. And again, it's not saying that your revenue streams can't be cyclical. Again, you just need to have that insight, right? You need to have that data. So if you do 30% of the parties that you normally do in the summer, where's that other 70% of revenue coming from? You just need to have a plan and you need to have it documented and you need to plan ahead. All right, number four. The financial reporting is not up to date or robust enough. So I also mentioned this in the first point, but if you don't have a bookkeeper in your business and you plan to one day license or sell your business, get one now. Financial reports are much more time consuming and expensive to put together retroactively. It's much better to stay on top of it monthly and quarterly so that you just have everything ready to go if you're ever, you know, prompted with the decision or the opportunity to sell or license or anything like that. And it should go above and beyond just what's required for taxes. So you should keep an updated business plan like I discussed in episode 82 of this podcast, as well as an updated balance sheet and monthly profit and loss statement at a minimum. But your bookkeeper can also discuss what additional reports you may want to have prepared regularly that will support your ultimate endgame and goals. But keeping these up to date and accurate can make for a much more profitable and quick, successful sale. And then number five, the lease lacks long-term certainty. And a lot of people ask me when they go to sign a lease if there are any important clauses or things they should look out for. And it's not just the clauses that affect you in the short term that you should be looking out for. Like, for example, who's going to be responsible for X, Y, and Z in the build out? You should look long term as well. So, for example, what if the business grows quicker than expected and you want to expand to a bigger space two years into your five year lease? Is there an escape clause that allows you to walk away after a certain amount of time? What happens if your building gets sold? So if your landlord sells the actual space you're renting, will your lease or rent amount change or your responsibilities? Do you have a right of first refusal, meaning you have the right to make the first offer on the building if you want it and buy the building that your business is renting to build the assets in your business? And most importantly, in my opinion, What happens at the end of the lease? And this is key here because this is when most people, myself included, decide they'd like to sell and pass the torch to a new family. So if your lease is up in six months, for example, is there 
a new rent rate at which you are guaranteed. So maybe it's a 2% increase. Some tenants don't require an increased schedule upon signing. And this can be a big mistake because what if you, you know, have this great potential buyer for your business, but your landlord says, oh, by the way, if you decide to renegotiate or re-sign your lease, oh, your rent is going to double. And unfortunately, this happens way more often than you'd like to think. Landlords are smart and they know that you've invested a ton of money and time and energy in your space, and they know it would be very expensive for you to move locations. So they know they have the upper hand here and they're going to play it. I have an entire YouTube video about the clauses that you should make sure are in your lease before signing it, including this rent increase schedule, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. But again, this rent increase schedule is a great way to ensure future buyers that they won't be forced to move or pay double your current rent because this can really dig into the price that you're able to get for your business. So that was five of the most common roadblocks that brick and mortar business owners often face when they go to sell. And honestly, I could probably come up with 10 more, including you know, business relationships, contracts you've signed with your vendors, all that good stuff. So let me know if you want a part two. But the takeaway I want you to get from this episode is that if any of these sound all too familiar, it's okay. And you are not alone and you don't have to feel any shame around this because again, it often comes from a place of good intentions and of you just wanting to make sure that your community and your customers are served at the highest level. So try to tackle one of these things at a time and it's much easier if you start now years before you potentially would want to sell. Again, you'll save a ton of money and you'll be able to make much more money if your business has solved these issues before you ever hire a broker or start these negotiations. And then you can enter whatever new chapter of your life is next with so much less stress and so much more abundance. So your play of the day is to take one of these issues and come up with a plan to tackle it. So whether it's setting up a meeting with your bookkeeper or documenting two systems a week and actually putting it in a task management tool or a calendar like Asana until you can start delegating and outsourcing and trusting your team to do what you likely know in the back of your mind they can do just as well, if not better than you can. Whatever step you decide to take to move forward, write it down and come up with a plan and do it today or this weekend. And I'm going to check back in with you on Monday and hold you accountable. All right. Have an amazing weekend, Playmakers. And I will see you right back here on Monday.